0: Today's reading from the Old Testament comes from Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul— how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and shouts of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would show us your truth, that you would speak to our hearts and give us a message of love that will bring new life. In Jesus' holy name, amen, amen. As a singer-songwriter, I know what depression sounds like. It is the sound of pain, distance, suffering, and an overwhelming sadness. Many of us try to numb these feelings or completely ignore them, but we have all felt these feelings before. And my job as a songwriter is to touch the core of those feelings. When I am in despair or overwhelmed with sadness, I write poetry. I write music because it, it helps me to process my feelings. It, it helps me to listen to myself cry without ignoring the tears. The psalmist here does the same thing. Uh, the psalmist writes a song of hope in the midst of intense despair. And I don't know about you, but there is something powerful when you hear the story of someone who has gone through the same trauma as you. The stories, their story somehow validates your own. Their pain lets you know that even though your pain might be different, you don't hurt alone. And that's why I love artists, and uh, mu- whether they be musicians, painters, writers, photographers, poets. They're not afraid to look at the darkness and see beauty. And there seems to be a, a strange uh, relationship between creative types and depression, And I was doing some research, and it it baffled my mind to see the link. The famous painter Vincent van Gogh, uh, he wrote a letter to his brother in 1888 saying these words. He said, I'm unable to describe exactly what is the matter with me. Now and then there are horrible fits of anxiety, apparently without cause, or otherwise a feeling of emptiness and fatigue in the head. At times, I have attacks of melancholy and atrocious remorse. Depression is also common among pastors as well. Um, Matthew Stanford, a professor of psychology and neuroscience at Baylor, said the likelihood is that one out of every four pastors is depressed. Charles Spurgeon, one of the most gifted and prolific preachers, battled with depression. And he said, I'm heartily ashamed of myself for falling into despondency, but I am sure there is no remedy for it like a holy faith in God. Tonight, I want to talk about a very difficult subject, and that topic is depression. Many of you have faced it. Some of you are in it, and others may face it in the future. And my desire is to encourage you tonight and I want to look at two things. I want to look at the causes of depression we see in the psalm and also the remedies. Now, the causes of depressions are varied as well as their remedies. And so I don't claim to give you an exhaustive explanation, but I just want to look specifically how the psalmist deals with the causes and how the psalmist gets the remedy. So here in Psalm 42, uh, the psalmist gives us a picture of a person who is at the end of their rope, and they're feeling like God has forgotten them. They are depressed and in despair, but the good news is that God does not leave the psalmist there. He is with the psalmist in the midst of despair, and he is also with us today. Amen? Amen. So the psalmist, if you if you have your Bible, it has a uh, the title. It says Psalm 42. Then it says of uh, 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 the sons of Korah and Amasiel. Now, the psalmist is the son of Korah, and the son of Korah is a great great grandson of Levi. And if you know your Bible history, uh, Levi is a part of the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob had 12 sons, and they became the 12 tribes of Israel, and the Levites were designated to be the priests. So Korah, who was a great, great grandson of Levi, they were designated to be the musicians in the temple, and they wrote music for temple worship. And the psalmist is also a masculine. A masculine is basically a wisdom song or a song of instruction. And the psalm is meant to teach us of the character of God in the midst of suffering. It seems like God is absolutely absent, but I I would submit to you tonight that God is actually listening with a compassionate ear. Exodus 34 and 6 says, The Lord, the Lord, a, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is, is like a wise counselor who listens to our cries and anxieties and doesn't prescribe a prescription before the diagnosis. So he listens, then he acts. That was your shouting moment right there. That, 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 you know, when we face people who are depressed or on the verge of suicide, a lot of times we feel like, I don't have the right words, or what, what words should I say? What, what advice should I give them? What what, what are the right words? And yet, the psalmist, uh, we don't see God speaking, but we hear him listening. And God does give a remedy to the psalmist's depression, and we'll get to that later. But I want you to see that, that God doesn't tell the psalmist, let me tell you how you feel and why. God listened to the psalmist's cries, and then he prescribes the divine prescription So let's look at the causes. What is the root of the psalmist's depression? We see three causes here uh, in Psalm 42. The first cause that I uh, argue tonight is the fact that there's a distance from God. When we see this in verse 2, let's look at it. He says, uh, my soul thirsts for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And then in verse uh, uh, 3, we see outside enemy voices that say, where is your God? And another cause of depression is God himself. We see this in verses 7 and 9, and we're going to look at that. So let's look at the first cause. The first cause we see in verse 2 is that the psalmist is distant from God and longs to be in his presence. Have you ever felt distant from God? Have you felt like you are all alone and that no one cares One writer who has felt this loneliness describes his feeling. He says, There is a heavy, laden feeling in your chest. Rather, as when someone you love dearly has died, but no one has except perhaps you. You feel acutely alone. You know, many people think that the Christian life is free of trouble and hardship, but the truth is uh, that. Following God means that you will come face to face with difficult circumstances. The psalmist could have possibly been in exile away from Jerusalem where the temple was located. Uh, The psalmist could also have been physically unable to meet with God in the temple. In either case, the psalmist longs for the day that he can appear before God and worship. Depression sometimes isolates us. And causes us to turn inward. And and we see the distance from God from us as a harsh reality that the world is finite, unpredictable, and yes, even void of the supernatural. That's why the psalmist's enemies ask, where is your God? And the psalmist agrees with the outside voices. Let's look in verse 9. He says, I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning? The question, where is your God, really stings when you're in despair and you feel like God has forgotten you. When you feel like uh, that, it's, it's easy uh, to say that not only that life is hopeless, but that you're worthless. And you feel worthless because you, you put your hope in a God that doesn't seem to show up when you need him most and you think, Maybe these outside voices are right. Maybe God isn't there. And at the root of depression is a fundamental belief that God does not exist because if he did exist, then why would he not help me? And the point even becomes more horrifying when you believe that the culprit of your depression is God himself. The psalmist says in verse 7, let's look at it. In verse 7, he says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. In Psalm 42 and verse 7, we see an allusion uh, to the prophet Jonah. And if you don't uh, know who Jonah is, Jonah was a prophet that was sent to this uh, city called Nineveh. And Nineveh uh, was a particular city that didn't believe in God. And God had sent Jonah to tell the Ninevites to repent of their sins and to turn to God. And Jonah didn't want to preach the gospel of repentance to them. And so God threw Jonah into the, uh, the sea, and well, Jonah jumped into the sea, and the Bible says that a, a whale came and swallowed him, and he was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. And, and it seems that the psalmist receives the same punishment for his disobedience when Jonah was, was dealing with the waves and the breakers of God for his disobedience. The psalmist longs for the flowing streams of living water begets the roaring rays of wrath instead. Nothing in the psalm suggests that he was being disobedient. In fact, everything suggests that he was being obedient. I mean, look at it. He is longing for God's presence. He says, as a deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul thirsts for God. Also, uh, he longs to go to, to the assembly. He longs to go to, to church. He says, when can I, uh, I, I remember the days when I would lead the procession to the temple? And so this is a Bible-believing Christian. This is a Christian who goes to church every Sunday, goes to community group every week. This is a Christian who is faithful in reading the scripture and in prayer. And in it, this is a Christian who's also helping the poor. And yet it seems like God is the result of his depression. So why would God bring judgment on someone who was not only obedient, but also who longed for God in the midst of exile while being tormented by his enemies? The psalmist is depressed by his dire circumstances and oppressed by his enemies. And yet it seems like the the one person who could change his situation, the one hope he clings to in the midst of exile forsakes him. And what was God's answer to the psalmist's prayers? It was silence. But yet, this silence was pregnant with the listening air of God. When God is silent, it oftentimes means that the answer is on the way. And I want to give you a quick example. I, I, I forgot to bring the card with me. And the card make, will make sense when I tell you the story. So I was a recruiter for Covenant College. And I was trying to rec- uh, recruit uh, high school students to come to the, university, to the college. And I was in Atlanta for a particular conference and I had parked at this public parking spot and I left. And then after the conference, I came back and I saw my car. The side view mirror was, was completely ripped off. The side door was completely dented in. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, Lord, I don't have any money. Uh, like this is this this job was my last job before I would go to seminary. And so I was just like, Lord, help me. If you're there, please answer me. Help me. Give me something. And the, the, the person apparently was a hit and run and no one was there. And so I remember driving to, to, to the hotel and I was like, Lord, how am I going to get through this? I don't have any money. I don't know. How my, I, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. And then I was about to hit the, uh, you know, the windshield wipers, and something told me not to do that. And so I got to my hotel, and then I got out of the car, and then I looked on the front windshield, and I saw a card. And I still have that card. Like I said, I, I forgot to bring it. I still have that card to this day. And the card says, Georgia Shrimp Company. I'm sorry I hit you. Call the company for details. And I was like, Lord, that's just what I needed. I needed some shrimp. <laughs> and if, and if, you, if you're part of Ashley and Stephen Newton's CG, you know that I don't like shrimp. Amen? But I ate it. Amen. And I, I had this card as a reminder that, wow, God actually hears our cries. Anytime, anytime I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to, to seem like God is distant and forgotten me, I, I, I look at that card and I look at the Georgia Shrimp Company, and I'm like, man, God still cares. So when we, when we think that God is silent, he's, he's, the answer is on the way. He's listening. He's not distant. And so we see the three remedies. Let's go to that. Uh, the first remedy is remember the good times. We see it in verse 4. The second remedy that I want to talk about tonight is hopeful self-talk. And the third remedy is God's steadfast love in the day and the song at night. So the first remedy, let's look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go to the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. You know, a lot of times when we are in despair or depressed, it's hard for us to have a good memory about anything. Like even when we look back, we're like, man, it was bad back then and it's bad now. But it's amazing that the psalmist not only remembers uh, leading God's people to the temple, but the psalmist also remembers going to church with God's people. You see, when we're depressed, a lot of times we we don't want to come to church. We don't want to be around God's people. We don't want to read our Bible. We don't want to pray. We just want to stay home. But yet the psalmist remembers, and I, I think uh, that memory serves as a remedy because the psalmist says, not only that I remember going to God's temple, but I remember being with God's people, singing God's praises. I remember the good times. And the second uh, remedy we see is in verse 5 and 11. It's the refrain. It's why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Let me ask you all a question. How many people in here talk to themselves? All right, some of you. I think all of us talk to ourselves. Let's, let's, let's just be honest. Some of us might talk to ourselves more frequently than others, but we all talk to ourselves, right? And if you're in despair and if you're depressed, a lot of times you, you, you say to yourself, you know what? You're worthless. You know what? You don't deserve to live. Uh, everything, uh, God doesn't care about you, no one loves you. And we replay those negative self-talks and we tell ourselves we're not enough, we're not worth it, we're not this, we're not beautiful, we're not, uh, we have no purpose in life. Uh, we, but the psalmist, the, the remedy that I want to give you tonight if you're struggling with depression or despair, look at the psalmist self-talk. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? So he he talks to himself. He says, self, why are you cast down? Hope in God, for I will again praise him. You know, we need to remind ourselves. We need to talk to ourselves with the voice of God. We need to remind ourselves of God's promises. We need to remember God's uh, 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 steadfastness and faithfulness in the past. And we need to tell ourselves, you know what? Yes, it's bad right now. But remember the time when God did hear your prayer. Remember the time when God did rescue you. Remember that. Why are you downcast? Hope in God. And we see the third remedy, which is God's steadfast love in the day and the song at night. Let's look at verse eight. It says, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. In at night, his song is with me. You know, when you're in despair, a lot of times it seems like God doesn't care about you. But, you know, God is a very relational God. And even if you think God doesn't love you, the Bible said he commands his steadfast love. So even if God said, you know what, I don't even want to love this person in the midst of despair. But God looks at his command and says, you know what, but I commanded my steadfast love in the day. And so even when we feel uh, like we don't want to get out of the house in the daytime, we want to be under the covers, and God commands his steadfast love over us. And if that wasn't enough, the Bible says that he sings to us at night. You know, I have four little ones, and they get afraid of the dark, and especially my little two. And every time they have a nightmare or they're afraid, I just come to their crib or their bed. And I sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Do You realize that you, 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 you serve a God who sings over his children at night. I don't know what the song is. It, it might be Jesus loves me. It might be hold to God's unchanging hand. It might be great is thy faithfulness. Whatever the song is, God sings a song over his people at night. And it serves as a remedy to our depression. My friends, Jesus Christ experienced the same downcast and deep despair as the psalmist. And if we look in, in Matthew chapter 26, verses 38, and this is after Peter had denied Jesus, and this is before Judas had betray, was going to betray Jesus. The Bible says, and, and this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus echoed, he actually echoed the words of Psalm 42. He said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Why are you downcast, O my soul? So Jesus actually uh, uses, uh, even in the Hebrew, he, he actually uses some of the same language in Psalm 42 in the Garden of Gethsemane. So before Jesus' death on the cross, he, like the psalmist, was overwhelmed with despair, even to the point of death. And Jesus says, Father, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. Why are you downcast, on oh my soul, hope in God, your will be done be done. Don't you see that Psalm 42 is a prophetic psalm because it points to Christ who speaks to the psalmist, uh, who speaks the psalmist's same words and fulfills the hope that the psalmist longed for. Jesus Christ answers the question of where is God in the midst of despair. The revelation of Jesus Christ shows us that God is with us in our suffering and he gives us real hope that depression is not the end of the story because Jesus Christ said that there will be no more sadness or despair because when he returns, he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. A day is coming for those who, who trust in Jesus when our sorrow will be turned to joy, when our tears into laughter, when our mourning turns into dancing. The revelation of Jesus Christ is the answer to the psalmist's prayers to see the face of God in the midst of exile and to know that God gives living water that will quench every thirst. One writer said that the opposite of depression is not happiness, but the opposite of depression is vitality. You see, Jesus offers vitality. He offers life to those who feel like your depression has crippled you to the point that you are slowly dying inside. Jesus proves that every tear, every cry, every dark time was not in vain because God sees, God hears, and God gives real hope through his steadfast love. Remember, the psalmist says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. You know, this isn't some myth. This isn't some wishing uh, Aesop and fable. This is real hope. E-e-e-e-e- the psalmist says, I want the living God. And, and Jesus Christ answers the cry that the living God has come down and that he, is, he has taken our suffering and he has defeated death and sin for us. Before we close, remember I said as a songwriter, I like to write poems. And I know the last sermon I did a poem and I want to do another poem. Now that Maseret is in the room, amen? She is the master, she is the master poet. I am just a student. And so humbly forgive me if I don't present like Maseret, but each one of us is unique in our own ways, amen? We don't all have to recite poetry like Maseret, even though she's a beautiful poet. So I, I, I wrote a poem <clears throat> about God's grace and, I, and, and throughout this psalm, it, you, you see this water analogy. You see that the psalm longs for uh, living water, that the psalm, uh, the, tares have been his, uh, uh, the tares have been his food day and night. And also, the psalms talk about God's water, uh, like waves breaking over him. And so, I, I wanted to take this, use that water theme to show you the mercy of God. So here is the song, the the poem. There once was a wave that washed over me at the bank of a river. And like you, I question if this could ever happen. Rivers don't produce waves. Rivers are quiet, almost unseen. Rivers are broken places where children throw rocks into it by the hundreds and the thousands. Snakes even wade in the waters of rivers. Yes, rivers can be dangerous. The quixotic mud lurking underneath the river's surface hide years of broken bottles ready to pounce on naked feet. Rivers are easily forgotten. They empty into lakes or form out of mountain streams. They are not their own source. Yet this wave appears in the middle of this forgotten river and washes over me. And I see my reflection in the river and I feel its loneliness. I can sympathize with this river. Yet I still can't understand why this wave has washed over me. This wave, though small, was like a mighty rushing wind, lifting me to heights I had never known, and I thought I had died and gone to heaven. And in that moment of utter ethereal beauty, another wave washed over me, and my soul stood naked before it in awe of its passing presence. It was as if I was the recipient of its grace. How wasteful the love of these two waves that found me in the muddy river. Yet as if two waves were not enough, I felt a third and then a fourth and a fifth. And I wish I could stand, but the overwhelming love of the waves gently wrestled me to the ground. And it became clear to me that God brings waves of mercy and grace in the midst of stagnant rivers. So let that wave pass over you because it will be the first of many. You see, like a wave, God commands his steadfast love in the day. And like a wave, he commands his songs at night. And so let the wave of God's steadfast love wash over you. Hope in God. Because remember that God, he, 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 he has a funny way of You know, a lot of times people think that God is absent in suffering. In fact, I believe God is most present in suffering. I want to read this to you, and this is from Isaiah uh, chapter uh, uh, 40, verses 17 through 18. 41, sorry. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Check this out. He says, I will open rivers on the bare heights and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. God says, I speak living water in the midst of the desert. I speak pools of water, even in the desert. And so this is the hope that we have, that God has not forsaken us, but that God himself has sent his son who has dealt with the same despair that we have had. And he sits on the right hand of God, the father almighty. And he tells the father, that's, that's, your, that's your child. That's my wife. Listen to their cry. Remember what I've done. Command your steadfast love over them. You know, they really like this song. Sing it to them, even in their dreams. And that's the hope that we have. We have an eternal hope that God has not forgotten us, that God actually has sent his son, Jesus Christ, who gives real hope for a living God. Let's pray. The Heavenly Father, we ask, oh God, that you would show us the hope that is in Jesus Christ. That you would let your waves of steadfast love, that you would let your the songs in the night wash over us, that you would let your grace and your mercy wash over us, oh God. Father, we might feel like we are muddy rivers in the middle of nowhere. But Father, you you love to wade in the water. You love to find your people in the muddy rivers to speak life, to bring vitality. Father, bring vitality tonight to those who are struggling and hear their cries and give them an answer. In Jesus' holy name, amen.